In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today is the third Sunday of the month of Misra, and we read in the scripture today about how the scribes and the Pharisees attacked the Lord after he had cast out unclean spirits, and they accused him, and they said about him in Mark chapter 3, verse 22, and the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebub, and by the ruler of the demons he casts out demons. And we can learn a lot from the way that the Lord responded to this accusation. The world nowadays is filled with all kinds of accusations and attacks, whether those attacks be on us as individuals, or whether it be on the church as a whole, or different groups. And we find from all kinds of different sources, accusations and attacks against us. And so we learn from the Lord actually how this absurd accusation that actually they are accusing him of using the power of Satan when he himself is God, how is it that he responded to this? And we see that he did not respond out of anger, he did not respond out of violence, he did not respond um, with, with insults or returning the accusations against them, but he responded very peacefully and, and, and in a way to rebuke those people who made the accusation against him through logic, through understanding, and, and, and trying to teach them something for them to learn. So how is it that we can respond to accusations and how do we learn from the Lord what he did? The first point is the Lord was not troubled by the accusation. He did not take it to his heart and to feel troubled by this accusation. It was something that kind of bounced off him from the surface. It wasn't something that attacked his person. It wasn't something that really entered into him and made him to lose his peace and he did not become angry. Actually, the times that we see that the Lord had become angry in the scriptures is always related to his zeal for his house his zeal for the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, the salvation of the people. This is where we see the Lord becoming angry. For instance, when he cleansed the temple of the money changers and he said, what, the zeal of your house has eaten me up according to the prophecy. This zeal that the Lord had that made him to be angry was not for a personal attack against him, but against the house of God, against the salvation, something that provides the salvation to the people. So we see that the motivation of God was not self-preservation, but it was for um, the, the salvation of the people against those who had corrupted the temple. We are often offended when we are accused. And there are several reasons maybe that that might be the case. The first is there might be some truth to the accusation. Sometimes when somebody says something that's half true or partially true, it kind of pricks us because maybe it reminds us or makes us feel like maybe there is some truth in this accusation. Maybe the accusation is not completely true, or maybe it is. But other times it's only partially true. But even when it's partially true, maybe our conscience is, is affected, is pricked, where we feel exposed. We feel like um, we, don't, we don't want to be seen. We feel like somebody has discovered something that maybe we have been trying to hide all, all along. We don't want our sins, we don't want our thoughts, we don't want our emotions to be revealed. And now with this accusation, someone is pointing out something that I have been trying to hide. Or maybe they're pointing out something that I have been trying to hide from myself. Something that I do not want to admit. Maybe something I am doing wrong and I've justified it in myself, in my, in my mind, that kind of gives me license to do it. And now a person comes and he says something that's worded just right, that's directed just at that area where I am kind of sensitive and vulnerable and makes me to feel that there is something wrong with what I'm doing. Another reason why we might be so offended by accusations is because we care more about how other people see us rather than God. St. Paul to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 1, he said, For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? 
For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. It can be a difficult situation because sometimes we, we use the reaction of other people as, as kind of a measurement of if I have done something right or wrong. If I do something and I receive praise and I receive honor and I receive compliments, then it's easy for me to think I did something right. I did something good because I'm receiving praise. Or if I do the opposite, if I do something and I receive condemnation and judgment and criticism, then maybe we are quick to jump to the conclusion that I have done something wrong. But the, 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 the measurement of the people's reaction to my actions should not be what we use to determine whether I did something right or wrong. This world that we live in is completely backwards in its, in its understanding of the truth, in its um, evaluation of what is right and wrong, of what is good and evil. And so if I use the reaction of the world or the reaction of the people around me to determine whether my actions were right or wrong, then I very well might be reversed in my response, in my, in my understanding, my interpretation of my actions. So instead, I go back to the word of God or I go to people who are godly and wise and I, and I seek from them um, their opinion of my actions. People who are, are living according to the word of God, who understand the word of God and are wise and discerning. And I ask them, this is a situation that I was in. Do you think that I acted appropriately or not? But not to go by the general reaction or the general opinion of many people in the world and it should not be my, my focus or my purpose to try to please those people. Maybe people accuse me because they have a wrong perception of truth. They have a wrong perception of morality. They have a wrong perception of what right and wrong actually is. So the fact that I'm being um, accused by them maybe is actually a reflection of the fact that I am living right, that I'm doing the right thing. And that's something for me to consider and to think about. Another reason might be offended by accusation is because we have some kind of self-doubt. I doubt myself. I don't really know whether I'm doing the right thing. Or because I'm judging myself based on the comments of others, I don't have certainty or confidence uh, in my actions. Is what I'm doing really right? I don't really know whether it's right or not. And when, when someone comes to me and criticizes the decision that I make, maybe we kind of fall apart because I'm not really sure of my actions and I'm judging myself based only on what other people have said. But actually, the apostles, when they were preaching in the name of Jesus, the council came, and keep in mind the council, these are the spiritual leaders of Israel. And this is a very high-ranking council. These are the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They came to the apostles and they told them, stop preaching in the name of Jesus, that this is blasphemy, that what you're doing is blasphemy. Actually here we see them doing the same to the Lord. But what it says in Acts chapter 5, it says, So they departed, which is the apostles, they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were accounted worthy to suffer shame for his name. So instead of saying, oh, you know what, the council is telling us that we are doing wrong and that we should stop speaking and maybe we are blasphemers and maybe we are misunderstanding and doing the wrong thing, instead they counted it as something good, that they were actually being persecuted and, and shamed for the name of Christ. Why? Because they had a, a, a very um, a solid understanding and foundation of their beliefs. What is it that they really believed? They understood themselves. They understood what they were doing. They, they were operating according to a principle and not just according to their emotions. 
Sometimes when we make all kinds of decisions and take all kinds of actions based only on how we're feeling without any principle, without any guiding principle of why are we doing a certain thing? Why are we living a certain way? Why are we saying the things that we are saying? If every day I'm just kind of being carried about left and right by whatever happens to happen to me that day, by whoever, however I happen to be with, by whatever happens to be on social media on that day, if I find myself like a chameleon, the always changing here and here and here, then yes, I'm easily accused and I'm easily offended and I'm easily swayed by the opinions of other people because uh, the opinions of other people are the foundation of who I am. Whereas if instead we base our faith, as the parable said on the rock of Christ, that, that, we, have, that we are unwavering regardless of what other people say or think because my opinion is not determined by them. Of course, I can take into account the opinions of others and I can consider them and I can think about them. But just because someone has an opinion doesn't mean that has to be my opinion. And so we need to have some inward security. We need to be confident in our, in our viewpoint, to be confident in what we believe and into how we choose to live. And that way, if people come and accuse us of our way of life, we can respond with confidence and we say, no, you're wrong in, in such and such. Or we have to also consider the fact that maybe they are right in the sense that I am a sinner. One thing for us to know about ourselves is that we are weak, is that we are sinful. And maybe if somebody comes and tells me you're being offensive, you are, um, you're, you're, you're acting out of jealousy or out of envy or you're, 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 you're um, failing to forgive other people or you're becoming angry unreasonably or other accusations like this. Again, maybe I should look into myself and say, you know what, there is truth in this. Maybe I didn't see it. You know, a famous example is King David that after he had committed sin with Bathsheba that, and he didn't see his own sin, when God sent Nathan the prophet to him accusing him of sin, King David accepted it immediately. He didn't, he didn't justify himself. He didn't try to re return the accusation on the prophet or to justify himself, but he said, you're right, I have sinned. Because in that moment, he again examined himself according to the principle and standard that he should be living by and he realized that he was lacking. Another thing we learn from the Lord here is that he responded in meekness. He responded in meekness. How did he respond to their false attacks? He did not lash out in anger. And actually in Proverbs uh, chapter 15, it says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. When we feel emotionally um, disturbed because of some accusation that had been made against us, it makes it very likely for our response, instead of being meek, instead of being gentle, instead of being edifying, instead it becomes angry or cursing or reviling or, you know, unreasonable response. Because we take it very much to heart and in person. Um, here the Lord, he did not use his position, who is God, who is all-knowing, who is all-powerful, he did, not, he did not take the fact that someone is accusing him of something uh, or attacking him as a reason to use his power against them. Because if God wanted to use his power, if every time somebody accused God of something or, or mocked him or blasphemed against him, that God were to use the fullness of, of his resources against them, imagine what life would look like. Imagine what I would look like if every time I sinned against God, God would use the fullness of his resources and power against me we would be eradicated. There would be nothing left of us. But God in his mercy and his patience, he does, not he does not attack us as we attack him. 
He does not return to us what we do to him. And a great evidence of that is on the cross, that even as the Lord was on the cross, he was asking God the Father to forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. He was meek in his response, and he was edifying in his response. Um, an example of, of, of the opposite of this um, is, er, is in, the, in the ministry of, of the Lord with the apostles um, when there was a certain Samaritan village that rejected Christ and the apostles when they wanted to enter and they told them, no, don't come here. And so um, James and John, the apostles, were very offended by this. How is it that you can tell us not to come and enter into your village? And so it says what um, in Luke chapter 9, when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? Like the response of us as human beings is that when we are rejected, we will use the fullness of our power against the person who rejected us. This is maybe in our nature to do this. But the Lord rebuked them. He says, what? He, he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the son of man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them and they went to another village. The Lord said, we are not here to destroy people. Even if people are rejecting us, we are not here to destroy them. We are here to save the people. And of course, the Lord understands the sinful state of all of humanity. If he were to go and to, to, to destroy everyone who was committing sin or rejecting him, there would be nothing left of the world. right? But James and John didn't understand this at the time. It was only later on that they began to understand what really was their mission, their purpose, which is the salvation of the world. So the Lord responded in meekness, and he responded in patience, and he, he, he bore the burden of their accusations for the ultimate um, realization of his goal, which was for their salvation. So sometimes when we are falsely accused, instead of thinking to myself, this person is my enemy, how can I, I attack him? How can I return to him? How can I justify myself? I should see him as someone who is in need of salvation. Someone who uh, is, is gone astray. Maybe this false accusation is coming from somewhere. Maybe, maybe they have some sensitivity, some vulnerability, something in their life that is causing them to make a false accusation against me. How is it that I can help this person to overcome this? Maybe this is the way that we should be thinking, the way that the Lord did. Also, in the Lord's response, he took the opportunity to teach them. He gave the parable about a kingdom divided. And he said that if a kingdom is divided, at its, uh, uh, divided um, in itself, it cannot stand. If a kingdom is divided, it cannot stand. And so with meekness, he, he gave them an instruction. He taught them because he is the teacher and he is the one who is all understanding and, and wise. In Psalm 25, verse 8, it says, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he teaches sinners in the way. Right? The Lord is not quick to condemn, but he wants to teach. He doesn't want to just leave people in their sinful state, even to just, okay, I'm not going to destroy you, but I'm going to kind of leave you alone. No, it's not leaving us alone. He wants to teach us. Actually, one of the ways that the Lord teaches us is through different trials and experiences that we have in life. Maybe we have misconceptions, misunderstandings. Maybe our life is filled with pride. Maybe, maybe we, 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 are, we are not focused. We are distracted. We are not living for the right purpose. And so how is it that the Lord teaches us? Maybe he teaches us through allowing certain circumstances to refocus us, to, to redefine for us what is really important in this life so we would stop spending so much time on vain and irrelevant things. The Lord is a teacher. And from the moment that we are born until the moment that we die, God is teaching us things, teaching us what we need to live, teaching us what we need for eternal life. 
that even when those are coming to accuse him, his response is not anger toward them, but teaching them. Why is it that your viewpoint is incorrect? Why is it that you are doing the wrong thing or thinking the wrong way? Let me explain it to you by giving this parable. So that even his accusers, that maybe some of them would be saved. Maybe some of them would turn to the truth and be saved. But if the Lord's response was simply to defend himself, was to justify himself, was to show, you know, like, like in social media now, everything is about watch this video of a person destroying another person with an argument. You know, one person says an argument, and then another person's like very, very clever response, and the titles of the video is like, this person gets destroyed by this person, right? Because one person said an argument that was this, you know, another person disagreed with, and they made a very like powerful uh, response to it. Is this really our goal is to destroy one another? That our goal is to expose one another and our goal is to like expose the ignorance of other people yes maybe there are people who are ignorant people who are living in darkness and ignorance what is my goal is my goal simply just to show myself better than them to show myself more clever than them to show myself more knowledgeable than them or is my goal to save them my goal is to teach them i want them to learn if i destroy my relationship with other people by me trying to prove my superiority then I have lost them. I cannot teach them. I cannot win them, right? The Lord wants us to win people to him, not to prove that we are right. There's a big difference between that. I can maybe try to prove that I'm right by writing an essay about the truth and condemning everyone who thinks otherwise and calling out everyone who has you know, done, done wrong. But that's not the way that we win people to Christ. We win them with love. Actually, we win them by covering their sins, not exposing their sins. We win them by being gentle and meek and, and even allowing people maybe to accuse us falsely while we remain meek and, and, and silent, that maybe I don't respond. Maybe if I responded, then I would actually hurt this person and hurt their salvation, and maybe the time is not yet. Maybe I need to just wait. Maybe I need to accept what people are saying about me for a time, praying for that person, showing gentleness and kindness to that person, that God would work in them and change them. This is not easy to do, but it reflects what is my goal. My goal is the salvation of others, not just to win arguments. Another thing that the Lord did is he warned of the role of the devil, right? The, the Lord speaks about the devil and how his kingdom is one and he is united against all of humanity to destroy us and to attack us. He says what in verse 26? If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but has an end. So the Lord is warning us that we have an enemy and this enemy is truly the one who is accusing. The Bible calls him the accuser. He is the accuser. We are not the accusers. He is the accuser. He is the one who comes to accuse us of all that we have done wrong, not for the purpose of making us aware of our sins so that we can repent, but for the purposes of casting us into despair and into making us feel like there is no point and there is no way for us to be saved because of the immensity of my sin. He is the one who is constantly working to divide people. He is the one who is constantly making us fight with one another, be in conflict with one another all the time. And so if we identify that the conflicts and the problems that we have with one another is ultimately rooted in the devil, then we will be able to focus our energy on the true enemy, on the true problem, not just warring with one another endlessly, but realizing that there is someone behind the war. 
you know, you, you, you talk about like how governments maybe like there have been times where um, like some governments maybe are selling weapons and they sell weapons to uh, like a group of people that are in a war and they sell weapons to both sides, right? They sell weapons to one side and then they sell weapons to the other side because all they care about is to make money by selling weapons. This is like what the devil is doing. He sells weapons. He sells weapons to me and he sells weapons to my enemy. So that using these weapons, we can destroy one another completely. And in that destruction, there is no salvation for anyone. And we continue to live with a lack of harmony and peace with other people, fighting with one another. So we don't realize that the enemy is actually the one who is arming us to war against one another. And this is the point that the Lord here was making. The devil is the one who causes us to fight. The devil is the one who makes us to hate one another. So we should be aware of his games. Also, the Lord gave hope and forgiveness. In, in verse 28, he says, Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men and whatever, whatever blasphemies they may utter. So the Lord made it clear that, yes, there is sin. Yes, there is division. Yes, there is accusation. But anyone who turns to the Lord, whatever blasphemies they may utter will be forgiven the sons of men. The Lord is offering forgiveness to everyone. Everyone who comes to the Lord with a repentance is going to be forgiven by him. And so the Lord is actually giving us hope and he's showing us his grace and his mercy. That even though we might be um, struggling and carrying burdens and, and living a, a life uh, where we are constantly struggling against sin, but we have hope and believe that the Lord is able to save us. He made it clear that he is offering this forgiveness and healing and purification for all of us. So this should be a source of hope, that, that when, when someone even comes to accuse me, what, what message, what positive message can I give, or what positive message should I always remember in my mind, that even this person who is my accuser, the Lord can save. That even this person, the Lord is working to save, and I actually should also help in saving this person. But finally, he warned about what? The blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And in this, in verse 29, he says, but he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. And this blasphemy, even though he said all blasphemies will be forgiven the sons of men, but then he says this specific blasphemy, which is the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, never has forgiveness. What is this blasphemy of against the Holy Spirit? It is rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit until the end of our life, which is rejecting the Holy Spirit convicting us of sin, and, 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 and so we reject repentance. We do not repent until the end of our life. This is the blasphemy against the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And this is why the church places so much emphasis on spiritual practices and on repentance. Because no matter what sins we fall in, no matter how bad the sins are that we fall in, the Lord says that these sins are forgiven if we repent. But the one thing that we can do to keep ourselves from being forgiven is to not repent. So all the spiritual practice that we do is to remind us of our sinful state, is to remind us that we are in need of the mercy of God, is to remind us that the Lord accepts us when we come to him with a spirit of repentance. So if you want to use like an analogy as far as what is the spiritual life, the spiritual life is not a destination, right? It's like if you think of it like a car, right? When you get into a car, you're thinking, well, what is my goal? My goal is I want to get somewhere. I want to get to a certain destination. But this is not the goal of the spiritual life because there is no specific destination for us to go. 
because the the essentially our the the limit is endless. There's no there's no limit. There's no specific destination for us to go. The the spiritual life is the process. The spiritual life is like the engine of the car running. It's like driving is this is the spiritual life. Regardless of how far we get, it's the daily spiritual work that we do. This is the spiritual life. Things like reading and fasting, prayer, confession, communion, all these things that we talk about, the spiritual process, that is the 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 work of the spirit in us, right? So when we are speaking about um, accepting the forgiveness of God, it means that we are working, that we are struggling, and that we are participating in this process. So in conclusion, the Lord showed us how is it that we should respond to accusation, that we should respond, um, number one, not being troubled by the accusation that we have, um, that, we, that has been accused against us. We should respond with meekness and not with anger. We should take the opportunity to teach if the person who is accusing us is misunderstanding. And we should also be aware of the role of the devil when it comes to conflict and accusations between people. Um, and the Lord gave us hope and forgiveness, but also warned against the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, um, which is the lack of forgiveness. So may God grant us always to have peace and harmony with one another, and that even if I am accused, to accept in meekness and humility and to respond um, in the right way. In glory be to God forever. Amen.